Des Moines. And now, from the Lithia Body and Paint Sports Desk, powered by BMW of Des Moines, this is an X's and O's update on 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. For the first time since 2007, the Des Moines Buccaneers are moving on in the USHL Clark Cup playoffs. Renlin will flop it in on goal. Getting there is Mancinelli. He scores! Michael Mancinelli ends it in overtime. And the Buccaneers have set sail for the semifinal. The call from the voice of the Bucks, Ben Gislason, in the 3-2 overtime victory. To baseball, Neon Makata stays hot for the White Sox. Makata drives this ball, left center field, and the wall it goes. It is lost and gone forever. We're tied at one. And that ball is demolished. Back to back, yes sir! Makata second tonight. We're going to run out of fireworks. Jason Benetti with the call on WGN. White Sox win it 5-1. To the north side and the Cubs, here's Javi Baez. Might lead the league in off the end of the bat hits right now. Drives that one out into deep right center, and she's going to go. 3-0. Cubs TV with the call, a 4-0 victory. Jose Quintana, solid again. Seven strikeouts in the win. And another game against the Cardinals. Another homer for Brewers MVP Christian Yelich. 2-2 pitch coming. Yelich sends it to right center and deep. He's done it again. Get up. Get out of here. Gone for Christian Yelich. Bob Euchre with the call on Brewers Radio. 8-4 victory for Milwaukee. The finale of that series comes up today at 1240. Live from the Wild Rose Casino in Jefferson Studios. You'd rather be here. This is 1460 KXNO. Keep up with KXNO on Twitter and Facebook. Go to KXNO.com to learn more. From 1460 KXNO. Hour in the books, one more to go. Welcome back. It's Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. Trent Condon running solo with you here. The final hour of the program today. Ken making his way out to Vegas and with his full-time gig. He's got some work to do out there and... Hopefully a little sun in and fun in for Ken and have some stories when he gets back with us on Monday. Coming up the next couple of days, Thursday and Friday, Emery Songer. He here across these airwaves, a lot of different things that Emery helps out with. He's going to be helping me out both tomorrow and Friday. We'll get him in here. You hear Emery do the High School Insider Show on Fridays. A couple of conversations on that. Now, one topic that I did want to get into with Emery was about going forward. You know, if we were... We were given the golden baton. We had an opportunity to do whatever we want to do in the high school ranks, to change some things at the high school level, either with the Boys Association or the Girls Union, kind of what we would do if we had that magic wand where we could wave and change some things at the high school ranks. We both certainly enjoy the high school sports aspect and what we do here at KXNO. So we'll get into that. We'll have our normal rotation of guests, plenty to get into, Iowa, Iowa State, MLB, and a whole lot more. And that'll be happening Thursday and Friday. Emery Songer will be in for Ken here on Miller and Conning. Coming up this hour, still a lot to come. Matt Montessarian is going to be joining us, former NFL scout with the skate with the New Orleans Saints. Going to talk with him a little bit about the local teams and what he is seeing scouting-wise. Some players that he might like for the Vikings, the Packers, the Chiefs, the Bears. We'll get into that with Matt coming up here in about 10 minutes. And then 11.35, Mark Morehouse going to be with us. Mornings with Morehouse continues and we'll talk with him about spring football get into some different things with 
Mark Morehouse again, 11.35 for that one. We touched on it earlier in the program today, but a little more time here on Andrew Francis and his departing the University of Iowa basketball program. A coaching staff that have been together for the whole time. Something that is incredibly rare in college basketball and college sports in general, where you see a coaching staff that stays together for that time. Now, football is different just because of the sheer numbers. The turnover that is going to be there when you're talking about, as opposed to three assistant coaches, when you have that many on the other side. You're talking nine, ten guys now at the football rank. So you expect to see certainly more turnover on that part of it. But then you couple it with what has happened with this Iowa program and the whole that Fran McCaffrey and his staff was able to dig them out of. It bears repeating just what a difficult job it was to pull them out of the crater that Todd Licklater put this basketball program in. I think I, I brought this up before. Nationally, the Iowa job was looked at very poorly. We have memories here in the state of Iowa. If you're older, the Final Four team, older than that, going back, the early 1970s, not only what they did with up and down the floor and five guys going out and scoring 100 points and averaging over 100 a game before the three-point line way back, the 1950s team, but Iowa was a nice program. From Lute Olson to Raveling, bringing in recruits and Dr. Tom. But I think there are times that, that maybe we forget, A, how long ago that was, and B, how difficult the Iowa job can be. It doesn't spend money at the same level as the heavyweights in the Big Ten. They don't invest as much in the program as some of the others. The built-in advantages that are there, not only at a Michigan State and in Indiana with the Blue Blood status, but even Ohio State and Michigan and Illinois and Wisconsin and Minnesota, places that are either the big dog in their state or, more importantly, have the recruiting profile and the recruiting base that you don't have in Iowa. It's not an easy job. And Iowa had a good for a very long time in basketball. There were numbers a few years back that showed them to be historically one of the top 20 programs in the country. But that was over a long period of time. In today's environment of college basketball, people looked at the Iowa job as a place that they weren't sure you could win unless it was the perfect fit. Well, Fran McCaffrey and his staff pulled them out of that. With more no turnover in the staff, no changes, no new ideas. You get into groupthink. You hear those kind of things. And as I talked about earlier today, I know a lot of people, and this is something that I brought up a year ago during that disastrous 4-14 and Big Ten season for Iowa, is do what John Beeline did and bring in Luke Yakulich. Bring in a defensive guru, hand over the reins, and have this guy that takes over and improves defensively. And the numbers certainly bear this out. So John Beeline. Going back to the year that they played for the national title. Going back to 2013. Number one offense in the country, no surprise. And good defensively, 37th. But then from there, 89th in 2014. 100th in 2015. 2016, 92nd in the country in defensive efficiency. And 69th in 2017. Decided to go out. They bring in Yachglitch. And the improvement was immense. A year ago, they finished third in the country in defensive efficiency. Last year, second in the country in defensive efficiency. That is a marked change. It isn't about pace. It isn't about slowing it down and your defensive numbers look better. This is all included in defensive efficiency. 
You get up and down the floor, you can still be a great defensive team. Now, another part is you get Xavier Simpson, one of the best on-the-ball defenders in the country. That goes a long ways, too, so don't forget about that component. But if you're hopeful that this is what Iowa is going to do, they're going to go this direction, bring in a defensive guru, bring in that guy that is going to help fix some of the deficiencies. Remember, Jordan Bohannon, not Xavier Simpson. Iowa doesn't have the same kind of athleticism as Michigan. You can fix some things, but to expect these kind of this kind of comeback on the other side that all of a sudden I was going to be a top 10 defensive team in the country, probably a little bit much. I think the expectations more than anything is to become what they were when Woodbury and Gassell and Anthony Clemens, when those guys were juniors and seniors. They were top 35 nationally, defensively. You find a coach that can help that, fill in some of those gaps, you got a chance. That's what you're hopeful for. And if Iowa doesn't decide to go that direction, then you're looking for a recruiter. But Andrew Francis departing, a little bit odd, the timing of it. No official word where he's going to end up. I think the easiest way to go with that, though, is you have to figure he's going to an institution that there's a hiring process, maybe it's a two-, three-week gap, that they have to have the job posted before it can become official. I think that's a line certainly you have to look at and wonder about going forward. But Andrew Francis, no more with the University of Iowa. And for the first time in nine seasons, you get somebody new on the bench for the Hawkeyes. We need a break. Coming back on the other side, we're talking NFL draft. Matt Monasarian, he'll join me next as we continue. It's Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. Before we depart, though, it's Sparkle Run. It's 24-hour sports, morning, noon, and night. You're on 1460 KXNO. Miller and Connor continues, 1460 KXNO, taking you up until noon today. NFL Draft, just over a week away. Our man Matt Monasarian joining us here as we're going to get into the local teams today. And, of course, tonight, the official release of the NFL schedule, but some leaks starting to come out. Matt, my partner, Ken Miller, he has departed for the day. He'll be back with us on Monday. This is like a national holiday to him, though the day that the NFL schedule is officially released. You get into this day at all? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. You you find out kind of you can map things out and see how things are going to go. Obviously, you know, the games aren't won and lost when the, when the schedule is released, but you can sort of, sort of start to, to plot things out and see how things line up for your favorite teams or, or for the league as a whole. So I think that's always some fun. And you can find out if you're making a road trip maybe or, or just figuring out if you're making it to a game, you're not a season ticket holder, a game or two that you can make it to. So... I get it for the fan side. From your side, when you guys were a scout and you're putting together coaching staffs when they look at and they're breaking down the schedule, what's the most important thing? What does what a, a staff as a whole look at when they get the official schedule? You look for any game that's not at 1 o'clock on Sunday, really. Yeah. Um, and that with flex scheduling, that can change, of course, as you, as you lay it out. But going back to my time in New Orleans, going back to what Sean Payton would do, um, he came from the Bill Belichick coaching tree, so we would look at the season in quarters. So each four-game set and throughout the season, as you hit those those kind of checkpoints, you, you want to make sure that you're looking into how your team's performing, how you're changing, where you're getting better, where you're struggling, all those sorts of things, and kind of try to win each of those four-game settings. You know, you go three and one four times, and all of a sudden you've got a 12-win season, so that's pretty good. Um, so definitely looking at it that way, but then also you really have to change your preparation and your calendar for anything that's not at one o'clock on Sunday. 
So figuring out, okay, we're scheduled for Monday night this week. We're going to have to do this sort of travel and shorten our schedule. Oh, we're flying to the West Coast. So as opposed to traveling the day before the game, we might fly out on Friday. Um, so that's sort of logistical stuff, I think, from, from the team standpoint as you look at it. Well, uh, from there, the schedule, we'll find out more and more here throughout the day as the leaks continue before we get the uh, full schedule for all the 32 teams. But we're here to talk NFL Draft, Matt, and I want to go around our local teams. We're in a great spot as we're surrounded by four NFL teams, and, and really, kind of depending on the era, I think four fan bases that are all very prevalent here in this market. want to start down to the south of us in Kansas City. A year ago, that run to the AFC Championship game, Patrick Mahomes just bursting onto the scene in his second year and first year as a starter. We know that there are plenty of weapons out there that they have offensively. Tyreek Hill, though, still remains a question mark. What's going to happen there? But what do you expect to see out of the Chiefs? What are some of the biggest needs you see for Kansas City? Kansas City, I think, is in a really fascinating place because they have everything in place from an offensive perspective. You know, especially if, if Tyreek Hill is back there, you know, obviously with, with Tyreek Hill, with Kareem Hunt, um, you know, enough of these guys, you bring them in and, and you, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of, of the way that that can, that can end up going. But from a talent perspective, you think everything's in place and you feel really good about Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid. On the defensive side, obviously, they decided to make wholesale changes this offseason. And this is something that I have a particular expertise in because I was in New Orleans with a team. We had a great offense. And we changed defensive coordinators, and we brought in Steve Spagnuolo. Mm. And I can tell you, from our perspective, we went from having um, 4-3 personnel already, which, which Coach Spags wanted to stay with. But we had very man-based coverage players. We had players that were really situated to find a guy, stick with him, and do a lot of blitzing. We didn't have a team that, that played a lot of zone coverage, that did a lot of the cerebral things that Spagnuolo's going to ask his defenders to do. So looking at that, we obviously had a crash and burn, absolute awful time with Spagnolo. That was not a fit the way we tried to fit a square peg into a round hole with, with man defenders in the Spagnolo scheme. The Chiefs, I think, have taken a different approach. I think they've, they've really turned over a lot of their defense. You know, the pass rushers are gone. The secondary is going to look a little bit different, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that they would be wise to be filling in more of this kind of core of the type of defensive player that, that Coach Spags is going to be looking for to build out that defense. Normally, I would say you want best player available, and I still think that's the truth all the time. You want to bring in the best players because you could be looking a year from now and say, wow, this offense has a lot of holes that we didn't really realize a year ago. But this team has it in place offensively to compete right now. They've got to get a core in on defense of players that can fit into Coach Spag's team. And that, and that starts with the front four, really. Yeah, making that shift from the 3-4 to the 4-3. At the NFL level, how difficult is this? you got to find the right guys for the scheme. I know the fronts, and especially probably those inside guys. I mean, you, you want to find the big guy to run that, that technique at the nose guard position and, and be able to build around that and get the speed rushes go with it. How long does that transition normally take, or is it something with the right players and the right fit you can make on the fly? I think it'll take until the second season for teams, for, for the Chiefs, for example, to really start to really meld into what Spags is going to try to do with them, to really, to really adapt to all the nuances of that defense. But that said, I think they can be effective very quickly, very early. You might not have all of the nuances of the defenses picked up, 
But that doesn't mean that, that, that you can't find ways to be effective very quickly. And I think that they can. And also, I think they can get better very quickly because there's a ton of defensive line talent in this draft. I don't think we can harp on it enough how important building your defensive line is in the modern NFL. And I don't think we can say enough how good the defensive line prospects that are in this draft really are. All right, let's go from south to north up to Minneapolis as the Vikings come in off a disappointing 2018 campaign. Big expectations. Kirk Cousins came in, and though the numbers looked okay, certainly not the quarterback a lot of Viking fans were expecting. What do you see with the Vikings, some needs, and and what direction do you expect them to head? So the Vikings are an interesting team because I think for a while they've been they've been really built on their defense, um, and and we saw this this past year maybe philosophically they 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 had some trouble figuring out who they were. There was a little bit of a, a disconnect between were they going to be a Kirk Cousins passing team that was going to really you know throw the ball thirty plus times a game. Or were they going to try to keep winning games with that old kind of Mike Zimmer philosophy that, that's been successful for them in the past? And I think they had a little bit of an identity crisis, to be honest, for a little bit. So I'm, I'm as curious as you are to see where they go moving forward from here. I think it'll be really interesting to see. I think they've all, you know, they're committed to Kirk Cousins all the way. And it's not like he's a, a, a terrible quarterback, but he's a guy that you win with, not a guy that you win because of. So I think they're going to have to continue to, to fill out the, you know, the other spots on their team to really um, bring out the best in Kirk Cousins rather than think that they're just going to ride him to the championship. You know, it's seemingly a yearly conversation with the Vikings here as of late. A couple of years back, they had one of the worst offensive lines I've seen in NFL that I can remember in my 30-plus years of watching the league. Then they at least became adequate two years ago, and last year another step back. Injuries certainly a part of that. They have a pick at 18, they have a pick at 50, and a pick at 81. I mean, could we see maybe two of these top three picks go offensive line off the board for the Vikes? I would love to see that. I think there are starters. There are bona fide starters that will be available on day one and day two of this draft. Maybe 10 or more offensive linemen that can be starters in the NFL. So maybe not the high top-end talent that we've seen in the past, but a lot of depth of talent right there. And, and I agree with you. From the Vikings back with Teddy Bridgewater, I think Teddy Bridgewater would have, would have had a different career in, in Minnesota if he had been better protected. Um, I think Case Keenum, one of the things that he really provided to the team was that he covered up for a lot of the deficiencies from a pass protection standpoint with his ability to kind of move around back there and do things a different way. With a, with a, a Kirk Cousins back there, more of your kind of traditional drop-back quarterback, there's less that he's going to be able to do to mitigate the pass rush. So I'm with you. I'm always in favor of building the offensive line. You show me a good offensive line, I'll show you a good offense. And I love some of the depth, especially on the interior that we see in the offensive line in the draft coming out. You know, there there is a lot of depth on this offensive line class coming out. And as you mentioned, I think a chance to, to maybe fight a guy that can turn into a starter even by the third round just because of the depth. Is there a lineman that you have at the top? Is there a guy that if you're sitting in a spot like the Vikings – that you'd move up for? Has somebody separated themselves along that offensive line group? So I'm going to pause on moving up for anybody just because I'm going to put my analytics hat on and I'm going to say <laughs> most of the time when you move down, especially if you follow that uh, that old draft value chart, um, you're going to be generating value for your team. You want to get two two slices, you know, at, two shots at it with a, with lower picks rather than one high pick. So I generally I don't want to move up for anybody. Also, football players get injured. So when you move up, you got one player rather than two guys that can get injured. 
But um, the guy, the guy that I think people aren't talking about a ton that we that we really like here at SIS as as kind of our top lineman overall in the draft is a guy that we have listed as a center. We think that's his best position, Garrett Bradbury. He could also be a guard for you. Not a huge guy, but one of these really athletic interior linemen um, who can really help you in the pass game even more so than he can in the run game. Just a reactive athlete, um, somebody who is, is a lockdown kind of pass protector on the inside, which as we see in the NFL right now, the ability to, to hold the pocket on the inside against those Aaron Donalds of the world is becoming more important than ever. And uh, he's been a guy that's done nothing but produce over the last few years. Just a 0.8% blown block rate on pass plays. One of, one of the top linemen in that metric in the, in the entire football rookie handbook. Matt Manasarian joining us, Sports Info Solutions, where you can go. Great handbook. We have it here in the studio. Absolutely incredible the work that Matt has gone through and hundreds and hundreds of these prospects as we get ready for next week's NFL draft. From Minnesota over to Green Bay, Matt, let's jump to the Packers Needs there, they were active in free agency, something that we hadn't seen a whole lot under previous regimes with the Packers. They'll be picking at 18. All three, uh, all four of their picks in the first four rounds set there, 1850, 81, and 120th overall. What are the needs that you see there for Green Bay? A lot of needs. Um, <laughs> the Packers, uh, I know, notoriously for a long time, were not making a lot of movement in free agency. And for a while, it seemed like the, the team-building strategy in the NFL. But eventually, they kind of got behind the eight ball. And they need to do a lot in order to compete right now. You know, we talked about windows earlier. With Aaron Rodgers, your window is definitely right now. Uh, you know, he was the highest-paid player until a few days ago. Now you see that Russell Wilson contract, and all of a sudden – He's a, he's a great value play, not just the best quarterback in the league, but also he's on a value contract all of a sudden, um, in my opinion. So you've got to figure ways to, to round it out around them. And John Shirley, who's one of our researchers here at SIS, he was also a former video scout for us, he pointed out that the Packers have completely changed the way that they've been operating this offseason. They're very much trying to add pieces in free agency to compete right now. I still think that there's not any individual position where you start to think, you know, aside from quarterback, where obviously as long as Aaron is healthy, they're set. I think the team has a, has a lot of needs. You can use better players at a lot of different positions. I'm always interested in building up front. So that's the offensive line. That's the defensive line. And there's a lot of value, I think, that you'll find in the defensive line in the first round of this draft. So I look D-line early if I'm the Packers. Uh, especially they, they invested a little bit on the back end a year ago. And then I think, just like we said before, you can find on that on that day two more, more up front on the defensive end and also more up front on the offensive end as well. Misspoke there in two first-rounders for the Packers, also two in the fourth, along with their second and third-round selections. Certainly a, a chance to get good and build a lot of depth there with Green Bay and what they have. Let's finish up here. Down in Chicago, the Bears in the playoffs last year. Offense showed some improvement, certainly. We know about the defense, though. No Vic Fangio as he moves on and departs to become the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Need position for the Bears. No first-rounder, but who they got in return turned out to be pretty dang good for them. Yep, slot. I know my old boss, Ryan Pace, he was down in New Orleans when I was down there. Now, obviously, the GM of the Bears. 
I know the way that he's looking at this. He's got Khalil Mack slotted in in that first-round pick, and he's feeling pretty good about that player that he's got there. And I think even losing Vic Fangio, even losing guys like an Adrian Amos on defense, you've got to feel good about, about where things are lined up, starting up front with Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks, um, and then looking you know, some of the linebackers playing really well, Trevathan back there. Um, you feel good about where they're at defensively. And really on offense, too, no more Jordan Howard. I don't think anybody's really worried about that with Tariq Cohen in there. Um, and, and the offensive line's been, been a good part of this team for a while. The weapons got a lot better last year. Allen Robinson, you talk about, it comes down to Trubisky. Um, so they're not going to have a first-round pick. They're not going to have an opportunity to upgrade the quarterback position there. It comes down to it being his team. We see every other position besides quarterback, and the Bears look like they've put together a really good roster. It's a matter of if he can be that guy, if he can be Kirk Cousins plus, somebody that you can win with. He doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have to be the reason why they win games, but he's got to be good enough for them to win with him. Got to get to that you know kind of 12-win range to try to lock down that home field advantage and dare other teams to come through Chicago to try to get to the Super Bowl. I think that's the path right there for them, and it, it, it's going to fall back right back on that quarterback. Anything you can do to help him in the draft, I think that's what you want to do. Do you see that out of Mitchell Trubisky, him developing into, I don't know, a top 8-12 to 12 quarterback in the league? Do you, you still have that hope for Trubisky? You know, I, I, if you had said top five, I don't, I don't think he's got that kind of upside. I don't think Trubisky will ever become what I call a, a, a reason why you win quarterback, a win because of quarterback. I think that his upside is a win with quarterback, but right now he's a win in spite of quarterback. Right now he's Andy Dalton. Right now he's Ryan Tannehill. Right now he's Tyrod Taylor. He's somebody that you can get by with and be functional with when the Bears were just outstanding like they were in really every other part of the field last year. Unfortunately, that stuff's not sustainable. It's really hard to sustain defensive performance year to year. It's much easier to sustain having a really good quarterback. So I think that the upside, yeah, I could see him becoming a top 10 quarterback. I still think that's a possibility for him. I think Matt Nagy really helps his ability to do so to kind of maximize his his total skill set. But at the end of the day, this is somebody that, that's going to be relying on what he's doing with his legs somewhat more than what he's doing really from an accuracy perspective, relying on his weapons at the receiver position rather than really hanging back there for the seven-step drops. Um, you can win with that. So I, I think he could be a top-ten quarterback. I think he can be you know, better than Nick Foles, for example. But it, I, I don't think that we're talking about somebody with, with that sort of Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees upside. Matt Manasarian joining us. Matt, we'll do it again next week as we get ever so close to the NFL draft. Thanks, as always, for your time. And again, the SIS Football Rookie Handbook. Let everybody know where they can go pick that up before the draft next week. Yep, you can pick it up at Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, or ActiveSports.com directly from our publisher. There's a Kindle version available on Amazon if you'd rather have it that way. Please check it out. Um, It is the ultimate guide that you'll love to have with you as you watch the draft. And I have loved thumbing through it. Matt, thanks so much for your time. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Matt Manasarian joining us here as we continue. Back with more on the other side, more football talk. Why not? It's April. It's football time. we got NFL schedules tonight. We're talking Hawkeye football next as Mark Morehouse from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. He'll join us continuing on Miller and Condon on 14.6 Slash Walk. KXNO in your pocket with iHeartRadio on your smartphone. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.
Final segment of the Wednesday edition. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO. Ken on his way to the airport, probably to the airport by now. He'll be departing shortly for Vegas. He'll be there through the weekend. He'll be back with us on Monday. Emery Songer, he'll be in tomorrow and Friday with me, helping me out as uh, we will make our way through the work week. Right now, though, time to reinvigorate a uh, blast from the past. It was mornings with Morehouse. Myself and Mark for about a half hour each and every morning. Way back in the day, we talk Hawkeye football. Our conversation's a little bit shorter, not quite as often anymore, but it's still great when we can get them on. Mark, what's happening? Trent, I remember those. and we, I had a lot of fun. We, we, should, we should probably just do that again and do it for free. Yes. Well, that's <laughs> <laughs> we basically did back then, too, but that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, we would go a lot of directions. Sometimes you'd have to talk me off the ledge. I'd, uh, get... That was that was the moment. I remember that was the main format. Yes, yeah. I I would freak out. I remember was it Daryl Wilson? He was in my crosshairs for a long time that season. We did that. Yeah, well, I can't remember what that was for. Special teams coach. I don't That's even right. know what I was freaking out about, but it was something. I I I had grabbed onto that and I wouldn't let go. Yeah, uh, and, and there were a few of those, but uh, I can't. Re- what, what year was it? Was it two thousand ten? Maybe. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, uh, 11, probably 11. Yeah. 13 ish, 14 ish, somewhere in there. Uh, uh, if it was 14, uh, all bets were off, and it was probably just me <laughs> talking you off the ledge the entire time. Because that's, that's what 14 felt like. It was 15. It was just, you would have just been happy and, <laughs> yes. and sunny, you know, 12 and 0. We'll do that to, to a guy. Uh, but since then, you know, it's kind of, you, you, we would have done half. It would have been half uh, Trent being angry and half right. Mark explaining the facts of life. Yeah, pretty much. That, that's Sounds the like way a good that radio is. show, right? It was. It was. I, I really enjoyed our, our time doing that together, and we had fun. The back and forth with it that goes Absolutely. with it. You know, I, I was listening to you and Scott Dockerman do your guys' great podcast, the On Iowa podcast, a, a week ago, I think it was. And yeah. one thing that I, I think I could hear coming across from both of you is if. When we look back, and this might be 5, 10, 15 years down the line, but we're looking back, 2018, missed opportunity for the Hawkeye football program. Yes, I mean, it, it is. I mean, it just is. Uh, Purdue lost. Uh, I thought Iowa last year had to overcome Wisconsin. It did everything right until it didn't, and it didn't overcome Wisconsin. And then uh, uh, Penn State got its own way again, uh, and I'm I'm blanking on the last loss. Uh, oh, Northwestern. Um, yeah, Northwestern, that, that's never going to – losing to Northwestern, I don't care who you are. If, if you're an Iowa fan with any sort of stand, it's, it's never going to sit well. It's never going to sit well. Northwestern deserved to win the division last year, and they deserved to win at Kinnick. Uh, but, yeah, Trent, it, it was, that was an 11-win season. Mm-hmm. And, it, and Iowa fans, I think, feel that. I think players and coaches feel that. And it just fell short. Because of that, going into this year, the, you, you lose a lot, of course, the early departures, the NFL, both Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson moving on, Hooker, and Anthony Nelson also jumping in to the fray. Does that change expectations for you? Does it reevaluate which, if those guys were all back, I mean, we're talking about not only the favorite in the Big Ten West, we're probably talking about, at minimum, a preseason top 12, top 15 team going into next year. How do you reconfigure your expectations knowing he lost four really good players earlier than expected. Yeah, I, I, I think we'll, I, I want 
I just have a sneaking feeling that Anthony Nelson will be the biggest loss. And I say that knowing that Iowa has a really great defensive end in A.J. Epineza and potentially a really great defensive end in Chauncey Goldston. And then maybe a third guy who might be serviceable or okay, that guy's yet to be named. But uh, pass rush was such a difference maker for this team last year. When Iowa has 30 sacks, it's off to a special season. I think the last time Iowa did that before the before 2018 was uh, the Outback, or no, I'm sorry, that's every year, um, the uh, Orange Bowl year uh, that they won. Uh, I think Claiborne's team had uh, 30-something sacks. So Iowa, you know, Iowa's not a spread team. Iowa is a team that wants to win the line of scrimmage, and I think a guy like Anthony Nelson is usually valuable, but I think you counter his loss with, you know, Ebenezer, uh, the fact that uh, Dav- Davion Nixon is back and might give some push in the middle. Um, so I think maybe there's some mitigation there, and I think maybe the defensive line has a chance to be as good as it was. Talking uh, to defensive backs yesterday, I think the number two guy that you worry about is Hooker because, you know, I'm not sure without him they they even roll out the cash position, which, boy, that is in their DNA now, and, and every defensive back talked about it yesterday. So that is that is something that you're going to see in Iowa's defense next fall. Um, but, but beyond that, yeah, obviously tight ends are interesting guys, but I think Iowa, I, I kind of, you know what, I, I like the fact this year that I was, I was experienced as light at tight end and heavier at wide receiver because that might make Iowa's offense more interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't, I, I don't know if I've tempered expectations. I would say this is a, between an eight and a 10 win team right now with a tougher schedule. Uh, but whenever parents teams kind of find themselves sort of in the mid middle lane, uh, or the outside lane coming, you know, going NASCAR, uh, they they feel pretty good about that. So I, I wouldn't rule this team out of uh, contending in the West. It's it's hard to see how it wouldn't, but I, I'm not going to guarantee any, you know, a West <laughs> West title. That's for sure. Last year I might have turned. Yeah, I, I was there. In fact, I picked them, and and I picked them to win the division, and it was right there. And Wisconsin was down as I expected. I just didn't expect a loss to Northwestern. I, I didn't expect Northwestern to win all those close games, and, and you would figure that the law of averages start to even itself out with Northwestern, but it kind of broke in the mold where you expect you can't continually win all these close games. Heck, we've seen the last two decades with Iowa. Win close games, and suddenly you're an 11-win team, and then those close games go the other way, and you're sitting at 6-6. Six and six. Northwestern can't keep doing this, can they? Yeah, uh, they can. Uh, that's the one thing I think uh, with Northwestern is that the ba- its baseline, its its base note is that it, it wants to play good defense, and it usually does. And I think they have a really good batch of defensive players right now. Patty, uh, oh, I'm blanking up Fisher, uh, yeah. the linebacker. Um, he's one of my favorite players in the big. He's like Josie Jewell, but six four. Um, and then they have uh, probably better than you think defensive line. And uh, Northwestern just plays good, solid defense, keeps it in games. Uh, when it comes to, you know, Iowa and Northwestern, uh, has it been three years in a row now, Trent? See, I think that's the thing that gives me also pause, and I think it probably gives you pause and everybody a pause about Iowa, is, you know, three-game losing streak to Northwestern. I think it's four to Wisconsin, um, uh, two games to Purdue, and that's basically a, a huge chunk of the West Division. So uh, Iowa has some some switching around to do in the West. I, I think it probably gets a couple of those this year, but maybe it loses a couple of those trophy games. Three in a row last year, 14-10. The year before, 17-10 in overtime, and 38-31 back in 2016. 
Not a stretch I, I think any Hawkeye fans certainly envision over the last three years. Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald, the guy, he's an absolute wizard. Hey, let's get back to the Hawkeyes, though, here in our sure. final couple of minutes. we got Mark Morehouse joining us from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Mark, we talked a little bit, tight end position, defensive line, not a whole lot of depth there. You kind of you have a blueprint of spring and what you're trying to figure out, what you want to learn, what you want to know. Is there something, though, that came off the board, something that has become more concerning the more that you've learned about this team this spring? Um, uh, it's tough right now because we haven't really seen enough of the team or much of the team or really any of the team. But uh, I do worry about back of quarterback just a little bit. I worry about uh, what uh, 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 what Kelton Copeland, wide receivers coach, said yesterday about uh, Amir Smith-Marset. I mean, basically said he's taking a step back or kind of kind of uh, has a raised eyebrow with him right now. I think that's a concern because you expect Amir uh, Smith-Marset to be one of your better players as a junior, uh, as a guy who's been through some things. So I think uh, that that's concerning. I think some of the strengths, you know, you look at wide receivers should be a strength, but, you know, then Copeland says that yesterday, and so you got to wait and see where that goes. Uh, tight end, I think, is that you, you should worry about it. I, I like Sean Beyer, but he's one guy. I like Nate Beating as an inline guy. Uh, but, you know, they're they're not going to be, you know, superstar uh, slot team like they had last year at tight end. Um, I worry about the running game, Trent. Probably the biggest thing in the offense, maybe the biggest thing in the team, the running game. And, and it, it, I think the six running backs, they'll be here in the fall. They don't need to have anything decided yet. But I do kind of want to see maybe we, we get a, we do get a chance to see the team, uh, uh, I want to say, next Friday at Kinnick at 530. And, uh I want to see what just what the pecking order might be. I want to see how uh, Makai Sargent see in the game. I think that's a huge thing because he's going to be the run, number one running back right now. Can he can he stay there? It's kind of the Game of Thrones there, running back with six scholarship guys. You'll have to help me out. I, I am one of the few people in the sports media landscape has never seen Game of Thrones. Yeah, should uh, I? Well, well. Uh, uh, so I would say that uh, Torrin Young is probably seriously. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Over I'm my not going to take it too far, but it's just a it's a it's a super competitive kind of like I think cornerback and secondary. Yes, but mostly cornerback and running back are the two most competitive uh, positions on Iowa's team right now. Uh, running back, nobody's proven. Everybody's running after it. Cornerback, everybody's proven a little bit. And someone's got to do it. So uh, two different, different stories, two very competitive uh, positions, I think. Yeah, I mean, you just think uh, two freshmen that we didn't see a ton last year or at all. Dallas Craddock, who was a four-star com- kid coming in. I haven't heard hardly a word about him. DJ Johnson, there's been a little bit more conversation about him this spring. But these were four-star players, and they can't find a window. The, the opportunity so difficult. They're adding a new position with the cast position, it's going to be fun to watch how that develops and, and how that unfolds with all those different guys. going to be an interesting one, and, and you'll get a glimpse right next Friday, get a peek at this team yeah. at least one time? Yeah, uh, yeah, we get an availability. I'm not sure what the format will be. or um, I, I know it's family will be there, media. I'm not sure what uh, what the format will be or anything like that. I, I think it's a clinic, but I might be wrong on that. Last time I... Last time they had one of these, it was actually out in the practice field. So, yeah, we get to see the team. And uh, today I'm writing about uh, how Iowa has to rec- recruit spread guys to make them work in a pro-style offense. So 
We'll see how that translates. And we will read it at thegazette.com backslash sports. Mark Morehouse joining us here today. Mornings with Morehouse. Ah, this was fun, Mark. Let's do it again soon. What do you say? (laughs) You bet, Trent. Take care, man. Thank you much. Mark Morehouse joining us here. That will do it here for today. Miller and Condon minus the Miller portion. He'll be back with us Monday. Every songer he'll be in tomorrow and Friday. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. 2 o'clock, Murph and Andy coming your way.